You're listening to independent, community-supported radio, KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. It's 6 p.m., and this is the KVMR Evening News. I'm Claudio Mendonça. Kelly Reese will return on Monday. The California Report brings us state budget news, information about an upcoming minimum wage increase spurred by economic inflation, and a story about how the California Coastal Commission voted against issuing a permit for a desalination plant in Orange County. After local news and regional weather, Buzz Barnett and Paul Barbieri will speak to members of the band Zero. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Governor Gavin Newsom will release his updated state budget. As KQED politics editor Scott Schaefer reports, the big question is what do we do with a lot of unexpected money in the budget? California's budget surplus is $68 billion. That's larger than the entire budget of all but five states. By law, much of the extra money will go to schools, and both the governor and the legislature want to give out some kind of tax refund. Earlier this year, Governor Newsom proposed sending a rebate to a wide swath of Californians, regardless of need. But San Francisco Assemblyman Phil Ting, chair of the Assembly Budget Committee, wants any refund to be much more targeted. So I think we're looking at potentially a straight cash rebate going to people who really have been hit the hardest, people who need it the most. Ting also wants big investments in one-time infrastructure projects, especially shovel-ready affordable housing projects. Money quickly gobbled up from last year's budget without making much of a dent in the need for more housing. For the California Report, I'm Scott Schaefer. Many Californians will see more pay starting in January. That's when the minimum wage for all employers will increase to $15.50 an hour. The announcement was made by Governor Gavin Newsom's staff yesterday. They say the increase was triggered by a provision in California law requiring minimum wage pay increases because of inflation. The state's current minimum wage for larger employers is $15 an hour and $14 for businesses that employ fewer than 26 workers. The governor's office says if high inflation persists, it could trigger another bump up in the statewide minimum wage to $16 an hour. Industry groups warn that pay increases could hurt businesses still struggling to emerge from the pandemic. A federal appeals court has ruled that California's ban on the sale of semi-automatic weapons to people under the age of 21 is unconstitutional. The California Report's Keith Mizuguchi explains. In a two-to-one ruling, a panel of the Ninth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals wrote that the law violates the Second Amendment and the right of young adults to bear arms. The law in question was passed after a 19-year-old who bought a rifle with a hunting license opened fire at a synagogue in San Diego County in 2019, killing a woman and injuring three others. In its ruling, the Ninth Circuit found that requiring young adults to have a valid hunting license to purchase semi-automatic weapons was likely constitutional, but an overall ban for those not in law enforcement or the military was unconstitutional. State Attorney General Rob Bonta is reviewing the ruling. For the California Report, I'm Keith Mizuguchi. 
The California Coastal Commission has dealt a blow to a proposed desalination plant in Orange County. Yesterday, the commission voted unanimously to reject a permit for the project that the company Poseidon Water wants to build in Huntington Beach. The project is supported by Governor Newsom, who believes turning Pacific Ocean salt water into fresh water is one way to drought-proof California. But critics in the environmental community say desalination poses a threat to marine life and there are better options to ensure water supply, like conservation and increased use of recycled wastewater. Critics also objected to Poseidon's intense lobbying for the nearly billion and a half dollar project. The company built and operates a desalination plant in the San Diego County community of Carlsbad. Let's turn to the pandemic. COVID-19 cases rose 20% last week in Los Angeles County. KPCC senior health reporter Jackie Fortier has the details. The steady rise in COVID-19 cases continues in L.A. due to the high transmission of the more infectious Omicron subvariants. Health officials reported more than 3,400 new cases Thursday, the highest number since mid-February. If the pace doesn't slow, County Health Director Barbara Ferrer said mask mandates could return. Should the L.A. County community level move to high, signifying very high transmission causing stress on the health care system, all residents and workers will need to wear a protective mask when indoors. Ferrer says the county's rise in per capita cases is concerning. The number of people in the hospital with COVID-19 remains stable with about 250 patients and four deaths per day. For the California Report, I'm Jackie Fortier in Los Angeles. There's a nationwide baby formula shortage, driven by supply chain issues and recalls. You can't buy formula in many stores, and parents are scrambling. In San Diego, KPBS race and equity reporter Christina Kim checked in on how the shortage is affecting people there. Megan Lenz's three-month-old daughter, Stephanie, has been struggling to put on weight and keep food down. So we finally found Nutramagen hypoallergenic is the only one that she can use. But now, with the nationwide shortage of formula, she can't find it in stores. And when she can, the price per can has shot up $5. I'm just, the shortage is scary if you can't find food for your baby. So Lenz, who lives in Santee, turned to Facebook. People from across the country helped her get the formula her baby needs. Because of that post, I have stocked up about a month, maybe, maybe five weeks worth. But after that, I'm not sure what I'm going to do. That anxiety is something Casey Castillo, the CEO of the San Diego Food Bank, is hearing from the families that rely on them for formula, diapers, and food. This is adding an additional stressor on these families that are struggling. On Tuesday, the last shipment of formula left the food bank. We've never seen where we've been completely out of baby formula at both locations. The FDA says it's working to boost domestic production and import more formula. For the California Report, I'm Christina Kim in San Diego. Support for the California Report comes from Personal Capital, providing people with financial tools like the Retirement Planner to help them achieve their financial goals, personalcapital.com. Paint Care, now with 834 drop-off sites in California where households and businesses can recycle their leftover paint. More at paintcare.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt through the Schmidt Family Foundation, working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food. On the web at theschmidt.org. 
And that is the California Report for Friday, May 13th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. Our engineers are Danny Bringer, Katie McMurrin, and Brendan Willard, with assistance from Seal Muller. Our producers, Keith Mizuguchi. Our senior editors are Angela Corral and Holly J. McDeed. Our director of news is Vinnie Tong. Our executive editors, Ethan Tobin Lindsay. And our chief content officer is Holly Kernan. I'm your host, Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening, and have a great day. In local news, the Union of Grass Valley reports that a study released by the Judicial Council of California puts the option of relocating the downtown Nevada City Courthouse to a new location at the top of the list in a series of rankings. That option would cost at least $172 million. The second choice, a complete rebuild of the existing building, would cost $247 million. And the third choice, remodeling the existing building, would cost $220 million. The Judicial Council of California, the body that will make that choice, has not made a final decision. Nevada City staff hopes to draft a response to the study before the council's next meeting. According to that same article, supporters have argued that the main reason to keep the courthouse downtown is economic, though historic preservation ranks high as well. The Judicial Council of California study said the courthouse in downtown accounts for $2.4 million annually in downtown business revenue. Moving the courthouse out of downtown would lead to an 8.4% reduction in downtown restaurant sales and 6.3% reduction citywide. Mayor Dwayne Strausser reasoned when regarding a $60 million to $70 million difference in costs between buildings, downtown businesses would recoup that fairly quickly. Quote, when you're looking at $1.5 to $2 million per year in lost sales of restaurant revenue, much of that goes right back into the state's pockets, he said. That's a validation of something we can use as our argument. Strausser added that a prior study of the courthouse he participated in several years ago showed a greater loss than what's currently shown. So the $1.8 million loss in sales was most likely skewed with the last two to three years of COVID, he said. We think the loss in sales is quite a bit greater than what the JCC came up with. Vice Mayor Doug Fleming said the council should inform the JCC that moving the courthouse would, quote, rip the economic heart out of the city. It would help to say to the JCC, look, you can't leave us with a zombie building. If the courthouse leaves downtown, you've got to put something back in there. End of quote. Looking now at regional weather, here in Grass Valley and Nevada City, tonight mostly clear with a low around 51. Saturday will be sunny and warm with a high near 79. Saturday night, clear with a low around 56. Sunday, again, sunny and warm with a high near 82. Sunday night will be mostly clear with a low around 53 degrees. For Truckee and the Lake Tahoe region, tonight mostly clear with a low around 36. Saturday, sunny with a high near 71. Saturday evening should be clear with a low around 42 degrees. And on Sunday, Truckee and the Lake Tahoe area will be sunny with a high near 70. Sunday night will be partly cloudy with a low around 40 degrees. And finally, for our friends in the Valley, Sacramento and Woodland, tonight mostly clear with a low around 56. On Saturday, sunny with a high near 92. 
Saturday night will be clear with a low around 60. Sunday in the valley will be sunny with a high near 91. And on Sunday night, mostly clear with a low around 56. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR. Next up, Buzz Barnett and Paul Barbieri spoke with Greg Anton of Zero regarding the release of their new CD, Not Again, and Zero's collaboration with Robert Hunter. And you've got a new CD that is slated to be released next Friday, I guess, for general sale. Tell us a little bit about that recording and, and uh, how it all came together. Yeah, we'll have some for sale on Saturday. It's a... Uh, uh uh, it's a live record from the uh, 90s and the Great American Music Hall. Um, we had, uh, Zero had been historically uh, an instrumental band for about 10 years, and then in the 90s we started working with the Grateful Dead lyricist Robert Hunter, and he put lyrics to our songs, uh, to some of them. We still play a lot of instrumental stuff, and... Uh, we decided to have throw a party at the Great American Music Hall for three nights. Got a bunch of our friends. Um, oh, boy. Uh, Robert Hunter was there making the announcements. We had uh, Bobby Vega and Martin Fierro. We also had John Kahn from the Garcia Band and Vince Welnick from the Grateful Dead, uh, Nikki Hopkins from the Rolling Stones, and so Pete Sears. We had two keyboards on each side of the stage. It was a big Yahoo, and it was a lot of fun, and uh, we captured it on this record. Yeah, captured by Dan Healy. Yeah, he was a Grateful Dead sound guy, and he's a master. And, Greg, this is uh, Paul talking here, and you just kind of nonchalantly mentioned that we were an instrumental band, and then we just got this partnership with Robert Hunter, like, how, how did that come about? You, you, it, you make it sound like it's nothing, but um, to partner with one of, uh, one of the world's greatest all-time songwriters, how, how did that, what was the genesis of that collaboration? Yeah, that was a real honor to work with that guy. He was just a, an incredible uh, lyricist, wordsmith. Uh, I knew him from playing drums with him, with... Uh, couple bands that he used to go out and play with and um, then I just ran into him at a party and he said you know Zero it's just a great band but you could expand your horizons if you had some uh, songs with lyrics and I said you got any he says yeah you got any songs and I said yeah and we started working together and uh, it was the beginning of a long and fruitful relationship um, the guy would just pull words out of thin air he was just a kind of a magician wow that sounds like 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 a lot of fun and in addition to being the drummer for the band zero you were also uh, one of the band's primary composers so you composed a bunch of this music that hunter put lyrics to as well so you guys collaborated in a little bit more of a, a more intimate manner than maybe most drummers and lyricists would would uh, collaborate yeah, it was actually a, a three-way partnership with me and Steve Kilmock, the guitarist, 
uh, and the band and and Hunter. I would come up with some chords. It's just a basic song idea. I'd show them to Hunter. Uh, we'd put together something, and then Steve would add a bridge or a chorus, and there we go. And it was it was worked for a bunch of years. Uh, and as you know, Robert Hunter died uh, about a year a year or two ago, and that was very unfortunate to lose him. Yeah, it's uh, no no secret around here. I mean, he was such a prolific writer, and it seems like that he was just willing to to throw it in and collaborate. And I think that that's pretty amazing with someone of that talent and still just wanting to uh, wanting to get out there and write. He did it. He did it with a bunch of people. He wrote a bunch of songs with Bob Dylan, and I don't. I, there's not many people that Bob Dylan co-writes lyrics with, and he did it with Hunter. And, uh, the guy was really top quality. His lyrics were, in my opinion, they're closer to music than any other lyrics. They're so musical, his words. Uh, they're as ethereal as music uh, is the way I feel about it. And, and seemingly endless. I don't know if there's a count anywhere of how many songs he wrote, but you, you think of Robert Hunter songs and you can just name them and name them and name them. I wrote 27 songs with him, wow. and, uh, yeah, he just kept coming up with stuff. Um, I'll tell you a quick Robert Hunter story. We were in the, Zero was in the studio at the record plant making a record, and we were playing one of our songs uh, that we had been playing for a couple of years. I said, hey, let's, um, it was called Home on the Range. I said, hey, let's do this uh, one fast, more like a rock song than we had been. And everybody said, okay. We recorded it. And then uh, it changed the way the lyrics were delivered. I call upon her and I said, you know, we need a couple more lines for the chorus. So he said, okay, let me check it out. So he comes down to the studio and he listens to what we did. He says, do you have a piece of paper and a pen? And he, he said, play it again. And he said... Forget that old song. And he wrote a new song, a new four-minute song, in four minutes. <laughs> as, fast as, a, as fast as a play. And uh, then he said, uh, give me a, do you have a track? And I, he, we said, yeah. And he went into the vocal booth. He put down a vocal, just a scratch vocal, reading his lyrics he had just written. And then he said, forget that old song. Here's a new one, and that was it. That was Greg Anton of Zero. Next up, Paul Barbieri talks with Steve Kimock of Zero about the first time Paul saw Steve play. And you mentioned the Allman Brothers being your door, and the Allman Brothers were actually my door to you, and along with Dwayne Betts. Uh, the first time I saw you play was September of 96. The Allman Brothers had a show at the Fillmore, and I think Dickie Betts maybe had some golfing problems that day and wasn't able to make the gig that night. And I think they brought Dwayne Betts out for a couple songs, and then you came out and played uh, In Memory of Elizabeth Reed and pretty much melted the walls of the Fillmore. Those, those velvet curtains were dripping, and I was kind of like, who is this guy? And that's kind of when I got on the bus and started seeing Zero. So 
it's pretty cool because I'm a huge fan of the Allman Brothers. So thank you to the Allman Brothers and thank you to Dickie Betts for missing that gig so that I could actually get introduced to Steve Kimock and your music. So I want to thank Dickie for that one. Thank you, Dickie. I got much, I a lot to thank that guy for. Um, he's, he's a huge influence. Um, the way that I got that gig, I was sitting home like an hour or two earlier and the phone rang and there's a lady on the other end of the phone says, is this Steve Kimmock? And I said, yeah. She says, Steve Kimmock, the guitar player? And I'm like, yeah. She says, are you busy tonight? I'm like, no. She says, get in your car right now with your guitar and come to the Fillmore. <laughs> and I was like, well, you know, what? <laughs> she says, don't bring an amp. Just get in the car right now and come directly to the Fillmore. Uh, we need a guitar player for this band. And I said, who's the band? She says, it's the Allman Brothers. And I was like, I'll be right there. <laughs> I got in the car. Just went as fast as I could possibly go, as, 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 as you know, fast as my feet could carry me. And, uh, yeah, oh, that was, that, was, that was Warren, really, who made that call. It was like, who's in town? He's like, oh, come on. Well, I appreciate Warren making that call and, and uh, in the world, in the universe, introducing uh, me to Steve Kimmock. And want to really uh, thank you for calling in this morning, Steve, and can't wait to see you guys at the Crystal Bay Club in a couple weeks. And, uh, and then over at the J&M Cellars in Napa on the next night. So it's going to be a couple phenomenal zero shows coming up. So we can't it wait. It really to- will be. I'm super looking forward to it. Zero is going to be appearing tomorrow night, May 14th at 8 p.m. at the Crystal Bay Club in Tahoe's North Shore. Tickets are still available through Devil Dog Productions. That's our newscast for this Friday, Friday the 13th, 2022. You can listen to it or any other newscast on our website, kvmr.org, or wherever you get your podcasts. KVMR gets support from the Nevada City Farmer's Market. Every Saturday from 8.30 a.m. to 1 p.m. in Union Alley, now through mid-December. Featuring sustainably grown food from local farmers, crafts, artisanal offerings, and live music. EBT accepted. ncfarmersmarket.org. And Waste Management, now WM offering another green waste disposal event on May 16th, 9 to 3, at the McCourtney Road Transfer Station in Grass Valley. Encouraging listeners to prepare for fire season. Information at nevadacounty.wm.com. On behalf of the entire KVMR news team, thank you for showing up for us last night. Your support allows us to continue to develop our department and continue to focus on the local events and news that matter most to you. If you still haven't become a member, it's not too late. Head on over to kvmr.org and pledge your support by clicking Donate in the top right corner. Thanks again. I'm Claudio Mendonça. Have a great weekend, and we'll see you on Monday.